0: Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's so good to see everybody here in the Faith and Arts Center along with those who have joined us online. Uh, This morning we are continuing our spring worship series with the title, Flawed Heroes. We're exploring the Old Testament book of Judges. It recounts the stories of 11 men and 1 woman who were judges or military hero leaders In Israel during times of national crisis. We have spent the last three weeks looking at Gideon, and now this week and next week we're going to be examining Samson. Our scripture lesson begins in Judges chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah, Named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then in verse 24, The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him when he was in Don between Zorah and Eshtaol. Amen. Paul Anderson spoke at my childhood church in the 1970s. The gold medal weightlifter was known as the world's strongest man. Guinness World Book recorded his 6,270-pound backlift as the largest weight ever lifted by a human being. Some of his other power lifts included a 627-pound bench press, along with a 1,200-pound squat and an 820-pound deadlift. He put on quite an exhibition of strength that evening. He lifted great weights with ease. He bent an iron bar in two. He blew up a hot water bottle until it burst He tore a telephone book in half, and then at the culmination of the exhibit, he took a large nail and with his bare hand drove it nail deep into a two-by-four. It was extremely impressive to a skinny little 12-year-old who could only bench press. You don't need to know what I could bench press. It was somewhere between my age and between my weight. This morning, we are introduced to the Old Testament's strongest man. And you know his name. You've heard it before. The name is Samson. If we did a word association test and I said Samson, you would certainly think strength. If I said Samson, you might think of his long, flowing, uncut hair. And if I said Samson, you might think of Delilah as well. Samson was Israel's last major judge, and the book of Judges devotes more time to him than any other character. Four chapters in all are dedicated to Samson. So when I began preparing the series, I thought I will spend two weeks on his life. This week is Samson's strengths, and next week we're going to talk about Samson's weakness. Here was the issue I ran into. It had been, I must confess, a few years since I had read Judges 13 through 16. And I remembered the broad outline, but I had forgotten the tawdry details. And after I reread the story, I came to an inescapable conclusion. I don't like Samson. He is one of the most immoral characters of the Bible. I know the series is titled Flawed Heroes, but he's the most flawedest hero of them all. It brought to my mind, for those of you who are NFL fans, uh, the quarterback mishaps of the San Francisco 49ers this past season. You may recall they started the season with first-string quarterback Trey Lance, who injured his ankle and was unable to play. So he was replaced by second-string quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, who also had a foot injury. He was replaced by third-string quarterback, Brock Purdy, who started the NFC Championship against the Philadelphia Eagles. Midway through the first quarter, he got hurt. He was replaced by fourth-string quarterback Josh Johnson, who had a concussion in the third quarter. There was a point where they thought a running back was going to have to be their QB. If you're wondering, the 49ers lost the game. But that story came to my mind because when you look into the backfield and you've got a fifth-string quarterback like Samson calling the plays, you know you are in trouble. Now, the story begins well enough. In fact, it is a relatively familiar story in the Bible. It occurs several times. There is a Jewish couple who cannot have children. The man's name was Manoah. The woman's name, we don't know. It never gets mentioned. He's Mano- she's Manoah's wife or Samson's mother. But one day an angel appears to her and foretells that she is going to bear a child. And that child will begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. That verb is interesting because up to this point, each judge has saved Israel from its enemies. Samson will only begin the process because things have devolved to the point where Israel is in real trouble. The woman is told that her son will be a Nazarite. You find that described in Numbers chapter 6. It is a group of people dedicated to God's service, and they follow several different rules. One is they never cut their hair. The second is they don't imbibe in alcoholic beverages. And the third is they do not come in contact with a corpse because it would make them ritually unclean. And when you read the story, you're going to discover Samson breaks all of these rules, one of them at least repeatedly. She gives birth... And she names her child Samson, which means like the sun in the sky, quite the misnomer because he did not have a sunny disposition. He had a dark, troubled personality that got him in trouble over and over again. We don't have enough time today to talk about all of Samson's exploits and illicit behavior. In fact, I got a little bit nervous when Reverend Sarah started listing some of them with the children. I wasn't sure where she was going to stop because it really is an ugly story, including as a young man, he meets a Philistine woman and he demands that his parents arrange a marriage. The Philistines were Israel's arch enemies, they were also non Jews. The law prohibited a Jew from marrying outside of the faith, but he insisted. And he held a great feast. You know how things are at wedding receptions. One thing led to another. He killed 30 people, abandoned his new wife, and then things went from bad to worse. Secondly, he spent an evening with, a, realize this is intergenerational, a woman of ill repute. And his enemies surrounded the home, and in the middle of the night, he escaped by breaking down a city gate. Then there was Delilah. Delilah. We'll hear that story next week, but suffice it to say, what begins as a romantic comedy ends up being a tragic drama. And Samson turned out not to even be a military leader like all the rest of the judges. He was more of a one-man army who caused devastation and destruction wherever he went. Now, he was best known for his physical strength. I don't know why I keep doing that like that's going to display physical strength, but he did kill a lion with his bare hands. He used the jawbone of a donkey to slay his enemies. He did tear down a gate and carry it for miles, and at the end of the story, he does tear down an entire building with his bare hands. That was his strength, but it wasn't balanced by any emotional or spiritual maturity. He was childish, immature, lustful, vain, contrary, and that was on a good day. He really ended up being more of a one-dimensional action figure than he was a holy judge of Israel. And I got to this point in writing the sermon, and it suddenly hit me. I had, had taken or written about 10 minutes' worth of material, and I was stuck And I knew you'd be really disappointed if it was a short sermon. So I had to dig a little deeper, and it finally hit me, and this happens over and again, that ultimately the focus shouldn't be on Samson. It needed to be on God. That the story's not about Samson's strength. It's about God's strength. And how we see in the Bible, over and again, God works in, through, and despite Human beings. That shouldn't surprise us because we've seen this story before in the Bible. Adam, created in the image of God, participates with Eve in original sin. Noah, saved by God along with his family and all the animals from the flood and the ark. What does he do when he gets off? First thing, he plants a vineyard and he gets drunk. Abraham, according to Paul, is justified by his faith, yet he is a man of ongoing doubt. Jacob was the bearer of the covenant but he was also a deceptive deceiver. It was Moses who was supposed to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and yet he came up with all these different excuses while he could not be the man. The same thing happens for each of us. We have this image that the patriarchs, the matriarchs, the apostles, the disciples, church leaders, maybe even Christians, we have admired over the years are some extraordinary persons that are superhuman. And what we find is that they are ordinary people, that God does extraordinary things in, through, and despite. And they have their strengths and their weaknesses and their virtues and their vices, and they're just like you and me. And I want to consider each of those prepositions in turn, in, through, despite. God did work in Samson. There are several occasions you hear the words, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. The Spirit of the Lord rushed into him. And the Holy Spirit works in us. In a wide variety of ways, in prevenient grace, the Holy Spirit lets us know of God's love before we're even willing to admit it. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin when we would rather cling to it. The Holy Spirit drives us to repentance, to turn our back against evil and to turn towards holiness when we'd prefer to hold on to the worldly ways of doing things. The Holy Spirit brings salvation into our lives, knowing that we, even we, are beloved of God and an assurance that we are given life, an abundant life, an everlasting life. The Holy Spirit begins that process that continues throughout our life of sanctification, of making us holy one step at a time. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do things we could not do on our own. God works in. God works through. God worked through Samson. He was a flawed hero, but he was a hero. One of the great judges of Israel. Again, more material dedicated to him than anybody else. Despite the story, he began the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines. If you skip over to the next book, you're going to discover how he sets the stage for a young shepherd boy named David. To go against the Philistine champion Goliath and how the first kings of Israel emerge. God works through us. One of Paul's primary images of the church is we are the body of Jesus Christ. And that is not only figurative, it is literal. God's work gets done through us. We are God's mouth. If the gospel is going to be shared, it's because we speak it. We are God's hands. If kingdom work gets done, it's because we do it. We are God's feet, called to go into hellish situations to share the good news of heaven's kingdom. Another image oftentimes used in the Bible for God's people is the army of God. We hear that in scripture. We hear it in our hymnology and in our songs. And I think in the back of our minds, all of us are convinced that out there somewhere, God has some select special forces. That they are the Rangers, the Green Berets, uh, Forest Recon, the SEALs, Delta Team. We're it. Take a look around. It doesn't get any better than what you see right here and right now. God works through us, and God works despite us. Yeah, you read Samson's biography, and it is a series of misfortunate events. It sounds more like a story of the latest Hollywood star that has gone into rehab than an anointed judge of God, and yet God still worked despite Samson, and God works despite us. With all of our flaws and shortcomings, God still works in our lives. It occurred to me There is a slang word in the English language, and it's an insult when you call somebody a tool, T-O-O-L, a tool. I looked up the definition, it wasn't as bad as I thought. A tool is somebody who is foolish and unknowingly used by somebody else. You know, I like to think of myself as God's instrument, but God's tool may be much more applicable sometimes. I experience that in the act of preaching. I take what I do on Sunday morning, proclaiming God's word, very seriously and invest an inordinate amount of time and energy in preparation for this moment. And there are Sundays when everything comes into place and I feel like I'm in the zone. And scripture comes alive, and the text flows, and people are engaged. And I can tell when you're not. And the Spirit is present. And there are other Sundays, despite my best preparation, I can barely put a noun and a verb together. The words flow like molasses in January. I stumble and kick the text all around. And when I finally say amen, it's probably with my relief as well as yours. And I go greet people outside afterwards with a sense of embarrassment and shame. Almost inevitably, in part because God has a good sense of humor, it's on Sundays like that somebody will come up to me with tears in their eyes and say Your sermon spoke to me today and it was what I needed to hear. I'm real clear that wasn't Bill Birch. I've got enough humility about me to know that. In fact, sometimes I want to go, did we attend the same service? Did you listen to the sermon? But you know what happened. Somewhere between where I spoke and where they heard, the Holy Spirit intervened in the margin. And something holy and sacred and mysterious occurred God worked despite me and it occurs in the commonalities of our lives sometimes all we need to do is to make ourselves available to God in all of our weakness and our shortcoming and our flaws and our vices and you've heard me say before and it's become more and more important to me the older I get Sometimes just the act of showing up is enough. There are times in each of our spiritual lives we go through barren periods, and we try to pray, and it feels like we're talking to ourselves. And the words go up to the ceiling and come back down, and we're trying to call out to God, but it feels like God's nowhere around. Show up and pray anyway. Sometimes we read God's Word. And we can't figure out how it applies to our world. It feels like a dusty tome, removed from my life by millennia. Show up and read the Bible anyway. Sometimes we come to church and we sit in the seats and we say, you know, this place is filled with hypocrites. I don't really like that other person in the other row. Who selected the music today? The AVL team missed a cue. The sermon, oh my goodness, don't get me started. You show up and come to church anyway. I performed a wedding yesterday in our sanctuary And I told the couple, this is an amazing moment, but you're going to have highs and lows and ups and downs and good times and bad. And it's going to be an adventure, but it's also going to be a challenge. And there's going to be a time when you don't feel loving or lovable and you feel the same about your spouse. Show up and treat them in love anyway. Parenthood, if you're a parent, you've already discovered this, that sweet baby they put in your arms that first time is false advertising. Parenthood is 24-7, 365, and it is a life sentence. And when they become adults, you're still waiting for that next phone call. And sometimes you want to find the place where you're supposed to be able to resign. You show up and you're a parent anyway. I've been thinking about my friends lately. Every friend I've got's a jerk. But I'm also a jerk. And there are times we say and do things with one another that hurt each other. But you show up and you be a friend anyway. And let me just say as an aside, and this is part promotion but also part insight, part of what you discover with Samson is the reason he got in trouble was he was alone. Let me say a word to men especially. If you're trying to do this by yourself, you're going to get in trouble too. It's one of the reasons we stress men's ministry here at Northside. We need one another. And we've talked about Disciple Bible Study this morning. We also got an amazing array of men's ministries. If you want to know more, talk to Jeff Rogers after service, go online. That's the end of the commercial. But we need one another. And here's the thing. People who just show up, amazing things happen. Prayer becomes renewed in our lives. Bible study becomes vital. Church attendance leads to revival. Marriages are restored. Parents get a second wind. Friendships allow like iron on iron to sharpen one another and to become better than who we are. Because God does work in and through and despite us. I began the sermon talking about my experience with Paul Anderson. I saw several of you of a particular age uh, nod your heads in recognition of his name. His exhibition that night was amazing, but what really impressed me as a 12 year old, and I remember it to this day, was his testimony sharing how he had given his life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And he was there that evening in part to uh, promote the establishment and the support of a home he began in Vidalia, Georgia called the uh, Jim. Let's try once again. Paul Anderson Home for Troubled Teens. And I later learned he made 500 different speaking engagements and exhibitions a year despite the fact he had chronic kidney disease in order to get that home started. And he died at 61 years of age, but that home is celebrating its 63rd anniversary this year and has affected generation upon generation of young men who otherwise might have gone down roads that led to self-destruction as well as hurting others. God worked in, through, and despite Samson. God worked in, through, and I'm sure despite Paul Anderson. And God works in, through, and despite you and me. Let us pray. Almighty God, send your spirit. Stir in us. Work through us. And make us your instruments and, yeah, maybe sometimes your tools as you work despite us so that your kingdom work might be done in our lives, in our families, in our church, our community, and our world. Lord, make it so in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.